what really what you're doing is if you're saying it has to be Jesus and something else, you're saying that Jesus is not enough. It, it's an affront on who Jesus is. It's 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 an attack on God. Like how arrogant is that that you think you can add to the blood, you can add to the covenant. Like I need to, you know, help God along. I mean, that's just silly. Right. So he's like, you're a lying, thieving, adulterer. Right. And, and you're like, okay. And, and you're like, okay, well, maybe I'm not such a good person. Welcome back to the WordCast podcast. I am Matt. This is my wonderful wife, April. And this is episode six of our podcast, the WordCast. We are going through the book of Philippians, and I am so excited to jump in. We are in Philippians chapter three, six episodes in. We finally made it to chapter three. So we're going to dig into chapter three. So unless you've got anything to start, we can jump right in. Let's just jump right in. All right. So let's jump in to episode or excuse me chapter three not episode three <laughs> episode six episode three <laughs> yeah imagine if bible chapters were episodes uh episode uh, goodness gracious chapter three let's get this right philippians chapter three what we're gonna do is we're gonna read a few verses we'll stop and talk about it and then we'll pick back up and keep talking you know throughout the chapter so philippians three one through six in addition my brothers and sisters Rejoice in the Lord. To write to you again about this is no trouble for me and is a safeguard for you. Watch out for the dogs. Watch out for the evil workers. Watch out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision, the ones who worship by the Spirit of God, boast in Christ Jesus, and do not put confidence in the flesh. Although I have reasons for confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks he has grounds for confidence in the flesh, I have more circumcised the eighth day of a nation, of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew born of Hebrews, regarding the law, a Pharisee, regarding zeal, persecuting the church, regarding the righteousness that is in the law, blameless. Very, very interesting passage. I'll let you kick off. What, what do you get out of that? The first thing that jumps out to me is rejoice. The theme of rejoicing is continuing on in this chapter. And, you know, it's broken down into chapters, but this was one letter. So a theme throughout his letter is rejoicing. And that theme of rejoicing, I mean, he's in prison. Yeah. So that's just, you wouldn't think, at least I wouldn't think, you know, the theme of my letter that I'm writing to you from jail is woven throughout my letter and it's rejoice. Which I think is very, very interesting that, and that's Paul's uh, throughout the book of Philippians. If you haven't watched all of our other episodes, go back and watch it. We've seen this repeated theme I mean, of over, yeah, yeah, be, yeah, over and over. Be rejoice, be happy, be blessed, be think of others. The gospel's going forward, even though I'm in jail. I rejoice in that because the gospel's going forward, right? All of these amazing um, things, and I think for him to have that mindset is so important that we need to recognize he has that mindset um, because we can see that in him an example of the mindset we should have when we go through things, you know, rejoice. But uh, I think it's interesting. He, he starts off, um, he says, in addition, rejoice in the Lord. And then he talks about, um, he's writing again, but it's no trouble to him to write because the, what he's about to write is a safeguard for 
them. And we're going to talk about more about that safeguard in a moment, but you can almost also link an idea of rejoice and that safeguard together that there is a safeguard in God. There's a safeguard for us in our rejoicing, even in trial, there, there's a safeguard there. Now he goes into a specific safeguard about evildoers and dogs and stuff. We'll talk about that in a moment, but, but I think there's something significant there about safeguard and rejoice that in our rejoicing is a safeguard. If that makes sense. I'm not sure. Yeah. I had wrote down safeguard and underlined it. I thought that was an interesting choice of words. You don't think about like having joy and rejoicing. I don't think I normally think of that as like, that's for your safety that, that guards you. That's a guard. Yeah, It is. And it's, there is, we don't think of it that way, but, it, but it is, there's a guard there. And I think that's important. It guards a heart in a lot of ways. Um, but then he goes on and he, he talks about watch out for dogs, watch out for evil workers, watch out for those who mutilate the flesh. Um, now when he talks about mutilating the flesh there, he's talking about circumcision. And so he's talking about watch out for those who, who are circumcised or who are requiring you to be circumcised. So it's interesting to me because dogs, if you don't know, the phrase dogs was a common term used by Jews to speak of Gentiles. And yet he's talking to Gentiles, talking about those who are circumcised. And he's, it's almost like he's flipping that phrase dogs, which is supposed to be talking about Gentiles. And he's actually using it to talk about Jewish people Mm. who, who are circumcised. And the, the reason I think that's significant is because what he's pointing out is that there are people who use circumcision like like so what he's talking about is this group called the judaizers that were a group of people that would come in and tell gentile christians that they would have to um be circumcised they would have to do all of these works works to you know to follow the covenant in order to be saved like yeah like the blood of jesus wasn't enough or what jesus did wasn't enough they had to add on they had to add on which wasn't accurate right yeah, and not accurate. and he's condemning them for that but the Jews used to speak of Gentiles as dogs, and it was a reference to them being outside of the covenant. And he's flipping that around, and he's saying, no, these people who are doing works-based stuff, these people who you say you have to be circumcised and follow the Torah and follow the Jewish law um, to be saved as a Gentile, he's saying, no, they're the dogs. They're the ones outside of the covenant. They're missing it. They're missing the new covenant that Jesus established. And so I think he's, he's using that phrase very specifically to point out, uh, it's a covenantal term. He's saying, look, you're outside of the covenant. You think but, that by your works and by following all this stuff, yeah, you, okay, you say, yes, Jesus, but now I'm also, I, you got to do all these other things on top of Jesus. That's actually, uh, it's being outside of the covenant. You're not, yeah. just because you claim Jesus, if you're adding things to Jesus, you, you're preaching a different gospel and you're outside of the covenant. I feel like it can seem like dogs, like that's brutal. Like that seems mean, like that seems like strong language, but he's trying to make a point yeah. that you cannot add to the blood of Jesus. You cannot add to the work of Christ. You cannot add to the covenant. Like the word says, our righteousness is as filthy rags. Yeah. Like you, your circumcision, you know, just saying, look, I mean, that's, it's filthy rags. It's, it's, and if you have never looked up what filthy rags means, I highly encourage you to uh, go look that up and, uh, and just pull up blueletterbible.org and 
and type in that verse and then look at the uh, the the Hebrew of that verse because filthy rags is not just a dirty kitchen rag. I'm just gonna I'm gonna say it's it's very grotesque. And um we don't think in that mindset like our righteousness. Like we can't even have righteousness. Like no. we they, we call it our righteousness, our works, you know, but I mean really we can't even be without God we cannot be righteous like apart from God we can't, it's impossible to be righteous yeah, like with, what without can God we, we got nothing apart from Christ everything we have is from him we can't give him anything that he didn't already give us like exactly and that's so if what really what you're doing is if you're saying it has to be Jesus and something else you know, Jesus and you must be baptized. I, I just stepped on some toes there. It's like some people think that you can't, that to be saved, not only do you have to put your faith in Jesus and that his work at the cross saves you, but that you have to be baptized before you can go to heaven. And um, now baptism is very important and it is a command of God and we should we should be baptized. But if you get saved and die before you get a chance to get, to bapt- you know, get baptized, you're not going to hell. But some people add these things, these works onto Jesus. And if you're really what you're doing by doing that, you're saying that Jesus is not enough. It's an affront on who Jesus is. It's, it's, it's an attack on God. You're saying, God, you're not enough. I have to do something to help you. And that's... How arrogant is yeah. that? Like, even if you don't mean to be arrogant, even if your heart isn't arrogance, really to think that you can help God or you need to add to what God has done. Like how ludicrous, like how arrogant is that, that you think you can add to the blood, you can add to the covenant. Like I need to, you know, help God along. I mean, that's just silly. It's it's extremely arrogant. We do that. We think like I have to do this and I have to do this and I have to do that. And like, who are we to, to do anything? Right. Like, like who are we that, we think that we have the ability to do anything that could add to what Jesus did. Yeah. Like, so yes, yeah, so like I think he's using that strong. Paul is using that strong language of dogs to you know, to make a point to drive home a point. Right. And I think now there, there's a there's a second side to this, right? So so I want to point out that first of all. Paul's making a very strong point here that there is nothing you can do. If you're a Gentile who gets saved, you don't have to go back and follow the Mosaic law, right? You don't have to go back and and have, you know, follow Torah and be Torah observant to be saved. Um, that doesn't mean that there's something wrong with, like, like I, I want to be careful how I word this. There is nothing wrong with, for example, doing um, following the Passover meals and stuff like that, right? So the Jew- Jews had part of their law was to follow Passover, and they would do you know all these different feasts and stuff. And I have done and have been a part of Passover feasts um, from, a, from a messianic standpoint, like believing Jesus the Messiah and how it points to the cross. There's nothing wrong with doing that, right? There's nothing wrong with being circumcised. There's nothing wrong with doing certain things that may tie back to, you know, some of those things. Paul's not saying Paul himself followed Passover. Paul was circumcised. Paul followed Torah, right? But he didn't do it for his salvation and it had nothing to do with it earned him nothing, right? He he recognized that at the cross everything shifted, that at the cross 
it wasn't these works that I did that got me saved or that afforded me anything or that earned me anything. Um, that's all nothing compared to, to what Jesus did. Paul is doing, you can do certain things and this goes beyond just Torah. Think about things we do. Like think about praying, reading your Bible, um, fasting, doing this thing right now. We're in the season of Lent, um, which a lot of denominations and churches across the, you know, the world celebrate Lent and, and fast and pray. If you are doing Lent, I think that's a really amazing thing to do. We we're involved in doing some things with our church for the season of Lent and, and just renewing focus on God during this time in, in fasting and things. But that's, if you're doing that because you think that earned you something from God, yeah. you've missed the point entirely. Exactly. Right. None of our spiritual disciplines aren't, it's not Jesus plus my spiritual disciplines. It's, it's Jesus and Jesus alone. My spiritual disciplines are just something I do as a response. They're not something I do to get anything. Does that make sense? Yes. Do you got anything to add about doing spiritual disciplines, things like that? Well, he says in verse three, um, for we are the circumcision, the ones who worship by the spirit of God, boast in Christ Jesus and do not put confidence in the flesh. There's yeah. no confidence in the fleshly works. This, There's no confidence in anything that you can do. Right. It's God. It's all God. It's all Jesus. It's all what Christ did on the cross. It's all what's in Christ. It's, Christ in me, the hope of glory. Right. And I think that's, I think that's a very significant point because it's not that we don't have works of the flesh. Yeah. But right. It's our work, it's, we just don't put confidence in those things. That's not what we're leaning on. Yeah. Right. I'm our not full leaning. Assurance, our full confidence, our full hope is in the finished and complete work of Christ. Like on the cross. On Absolutely. The cross, what Jesus Every time. did. That doesn't mean that we don't pray because we want relationship. That doesn't mean we don't read the word because this word shows us Jesus. We learn who Jesus is. It brings us closer to Jesus, the spiritual disciplines, fasting, worship, reading the Bible, praying. All that does is just bring us into relationship with Jesus. It shows us Jesus. It teaches us about Jesus. It doesn't earn us anything. It doesn't you know, give us extra brownie points to right. get into heaven. It doesn't, doesn't, we're not like earning anything. Exactly. And I think Paul, Paul says it here. Like he, if anyone has reason to be confident in oh, yeah. he his, has works, his resume here, he kind of lists out this resume of all his things. And, and if Paul himself, who, who is this just, you know, amazing, I, I use this term in a weird way, but a hero of the faith, right? Paul is is the apostle to the Gentiles. He he brought the gospel to to us to the Gentiles, right? Like you know, there was others involved, but Paul was the the primary voice. He wrote most of the New Testament. You know, Paul is Paul is a hero of the faith, and he has done so much. You look at the works of Paul and what he did, and he's saying, "Look, I have the ability, or I have the ability to boast among anyone. If, if there's anyone who has done anything for God, it's me. Yet Paul says, but look, it doesn't matter what I've done because all these things, while they're good, there's good things in this. That is not going to afford me anything. That doesn't earn me anything. I have no boasting. It is Jesus and Jesus alone. And so I think Paul makes the point, you know, if, if, if I have you know, in my resume, if I'm the one who's saying this, then you should look at your, you know, you haven't done anything compared to what I've done. And yet I'm saying it's all 
nothing compared to the work of Christ. Yeah, it could almost seem, at first, it could almost seem arrogant, like all he's saying, but he's making a point. It's not arrogance. He's making a point that, like, none of it matters. Like, none of this impressive resume, all this stuff. Then you go into verse... Um, so it's going to go into verse seven. It's showing that none of that matters. And let's let's go ahead and read that and see see what he's saying. Jumping here. ahead, sorry. How dare you? <laughs> Hold on. All right. So in verse seven through eleven, it says, "But everything that was a gain to me, I have considered to be a loss because of Christ." More than that, I also consider everything to be a loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Because of him, I have suffered the loss of all things and considered them as dung mm. so that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own for the law, from the law, but one that is through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God based on faith. My goal is to know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, assuming that I will somehow reach the resurrection from among the dead. That so so to what you were saying in the next verse, he, he considers it all lost. Like it's I mean, dung, like dung, like poo poo. <laughs> oops. Shh, let's let's censor that. Um, <laughs> no. <laughs> no <What>? censor. <laughs> um he considered it all. Um, <laughs> um, but yeah, so he's, that's the thing is for him, all his good works, all the good things he's done, following the law, following, you know, doing, you know, observing the Sabbath, following the festivals, not, you know, loving his neighbor, doing all these things, which are all commanded in the law. He says, all of that afforded me nothing. It's all dung. It's all, it's all goes in the toilet because none of that can make me righteous. The righteousness that he he says he has is righteousness from Christ through faith in Christ, like righteousness that comes of faith. And I think, I think there's something significant here. And you tell me what you think, your thoughts on this. I think there's something that we tend to forget as Christians. When we think of righteousness, we often think of what we do, mm -hmm. right? Oh, I messed up. I did this sin or, oh, I, I gossiped today, or, oh, I did this, or, oh, I did that. And we think, oh, man, got all this unrighteousness. Or we think of righteousness in the in the good sense. Oh, I went to church, and I prayed, and I I, I gave money to this person who was poor, and I, I did all these good things, and I, I showed love to my enemy, and I did all these wonderful things that are all good. But we view it as righteous. But righteousness is actually something that is imputed to us by God through faith in Jesus. So the moment we place our faith in Jesus, his righteousness, the righteousness of God himself is imputed to us. It's already on our account. And I don't think we think about that often. No. I, I feel like we we so often we we don't we either view ourselves as unrighteous because we're messing up or we think of our goodness as righteous. And instead, the moment I said yes to Jesus, on my account, it shows full righteousness. I am fully righteous. Yeah, because in the end of verse 6, he says, um, regarding the righteousness that is in the law, blameless. So it's yep. saying that according to like the rules and the law, 
he was blameless. But then right after that, in verse seven, he says, I have considered to be a loss because of Christ. Yeah, it's it's nothing. And he would be blameless according. Everybody would look at Paul and think, oh, that 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 guy's righteous. And he's like, no, without Christ, none of what I did was righteous. Because the whole point of the law was to show that they needed Jesus's righteousness. Like the whole point of the law was to show that they couldn't do it, that they needed Jesus. Right. And it's because no matter how blameless you think you are by doing good things, you're, you're not good. Right. So, so, you know, I, it's, it's an old thing I've seen, you know, Ray comfort and, uh, you know, others do this online. Um, but like the whole test of let's let's see how good of a person you are. Yeah, you you help the poor. Good good for you. Have you ever lied? That makes you a liar. That makes you a liar. Well, I only <laughs> lied a few times. Have I have I have I ever stole anything, even something small like a little pin? Well, yeah. Okay. Well, that makes you a thief, right? Like you're a lying thief, right there, just with those two. Have you ever taken the Lord's name in vain? Yeah. Well, that's blasphemy. You're you're a lying th- uh, thieving blasphemer. Say, yeah. He'll always say, have you ever looked at a woman with lust? And they'll say, yeah. And you'll say, well, Jesus said, if you look at a woman with lust, you've already committed adultery, adultery in your heart. So he's like, you're a lying, thieving adulterer. Right. And, <laughs> and you're like, okay. <laughs> and, and you're like, okay, well, maybe I'm not such a good person. Yeah. And because we judge our goodness based on, well, we're not Hitler, right? We're not, we're not, we're not, we've you know. More good than bad. Yeah. We've so. done more good than bad. So that's, so, but I gave an example and I'll, I'll, I'll say it here. I gave an example on another video I did on my YouTube channel. By the way, if you're listening to us on Spotify or, you know, Google Podcasts or, or uh, another podcast service, we actually have a YouTube channel. It's at the word room. So you can go to youtube.com slash at the word room. And um, on one of my videos, I talked about how sin taints everything, right? So I, I gave the example. I said, let's imagine you had this perfect steak that was seared and just perfect. And everything great the baked potato you got salad just looks and smells amazing but then i told you well when i cooked that i put just a little bit of dung we'll, we'll say we'll use paul's word dung on there um but i mean it was only just one little tiny spot on one little spot of the steak when it was cooking now, would you eat the steak? No. <laughs> no, I wouldn't eat any part of the steak, even though most of the steak is good, even though most of the food looks good. I, I wouldn't even eat potato salad, nothing. I, I wouldn't eat nothing you made. <laughs> you're, you're right. You, you put in that when you're cooking, I'm not eating it. Right. That little tiny bit ruins the whole thing. So you could have all this amazing goodness, but that little tiny bit taints the whole thing. And it's Jesus said it this way. He said, a little leaven leavens the whole lump, right? A little bit of yeast causes the whole thing to rise. You may put yeast in just the middle part, small part of the dough. When you cook that, the whole thing is going to rise because you had a little bit of yeast in there. And that's how sin is. Sin's like that little bit of yeast. It's a, you put that in there, it's going to cause the, it's going to affect the whole thing. And so no matter how good you are, you can have 55 million good works. But if you have any bad works, you you're guilty of violating the whole law. You've, you broke the whole thing. And, um, and I think Paul is is going out of his way to make that point here that he, he wants them to understand, like quit trying to work your way to God. You don't have to, you know, especially as Gentiles, you don't have to go back and follow the the Old Testament law to to be saved. Jews don't either; they only get saved by by Jesus. But you know, a Jew 
following Torah out of a cultural thing is completely different than a Gentile doing it to try to, I'm going to jump in to follow this because I think it gets me closer to God because it doesn't. Your prayer doesn't get you closer to God. Your fasting doesn't get you closer to God. Now I'm going to clarify that because that sounds a bit um, wrong, but prayer and fasting do not get you closer to God. And as far as earning closeness to God, prayer and fasting help you lay aside yourself so that way you can experience God. He's always there. He's close. He's in you. He dwells in you, right? So you're not earning something from him, but by prayer and fasting, I'm silencing my flesh and my mind to the place where I can connect with God. So it's not me earning that. It's just me getting myself out of the way. Yeah. It's just like in a, like in a marriage, like when I spend time with you, when I talk to you, when I fellowship with you, I'm not earning like anything. I'm not earning your favor. I'm right. not earning anything from you. I'm just developing a relationship with you. Exactly. And it's not, I'm becoming closer to you. Not because I'm like earning closeness to you, like earning points to get into your presence. Exactly. I'm just, it's a natural byproduct of me communing with you that we become closer to each other. Exactly. And that's, that's what prayer and fasting is like. And, and we have to view our works and the, what we do from that lens. We can't, we can't view it as if I pray enough or I read my Bible enough or I, I study enough or I fast enough or uh, we take it another step further. Somebody, some people take things wrong. If I, if I, um, and poor enough, but yeah, poverty mentality. But it's also if I get all the money in the world and if I'm I rich give enough, or if yeah. I do enough ministry, if I if I you know tithe enough, if I do all these things, that'll yeah. really get me. Like I'll really impress God, and I'll right. really show God how dedicated I am. Like I will really prove to God that I am love Him and I'm good <laughs> if I can do these things. Yeah. And that no, like. You're missing it. Like it's just relationship. You yep. just should want to do these things because you love him. It's an overflow of love. Like I want to talk to you because I love you. I want to spend time with you because I love you. I just want to be with you. I don't have to. I'm not trying to earn your love. I'm not trying to exactly. earn your favor. I'm not trying to prove to you that I love you. I don't go talk to you. <laughs> I got to prove to Matt today that I love him. I wake I up every to. morning and I demand you better prove to me how much you love me today. <laughs> That's silly. So it's not <laughs> like I have to, you know, I have to make sure I talk to Matt today to to prove that I'm a Christian. I have to make sure I stay not Christian. I got that wrong, but I don't have to prove to me you're Christian. <laughs> to prove that I love Matt or you know, I don't have to wake up today and make sure I talk to Matt cuz you know, if I don't, I'm not a good wife. Right. Like that's yeah. just silly. Like it's not like, oh, I have to go, I have to do all these things today for Matt to prove that I'm love him or to prove that I'm a good wife. No, I just want to do them naturally. Because you love me. And that's because I love you. That's, that's how a relationship works. Yeah. A mindset shift that has to change. Like apart from a relationship, apart from in Christ, none of it, it's all a loss. It is all loss. That's what he's saying in verse eight. I also consider everything to be a loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Like if we get the value of Jesus and the value of his blood and the value of what he did on the cross and the value of his love for us, then we realize that everything else 
apart from that, I mean, what is it? What's the point? It doesn't matter. And that's, that's, I think the, the key of Paul's focus, you know, he goes in verse 10 and I think, did we just read, we read 10 and 11, right? Um, my goal is to know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering. I don't know if we read that or not. Did we get to that verse yet? I don't know. Let's see if we got to that verse. Boom, I did get to that verse. <laughs> That's pretty bad that we just <laughs> Yeah, our brains. Whoo. Um, I promise we're not that old. Um, <laughs> Matt's older than I am. Well, you didn't have to point that out. Um, but <laughs> anyways. Just saying you had more wisdom. Oh, you? nice cover. Nice cover. <laughs> um, so at the end of that verse, I mean, verse 10 and 11, it says, My goal is to know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death, assuming that I will somehow reach to the resurrection from among the dead. And I think that's such a powerful phrase. Like he's saying, look, my goal isn't like to, like you talked about, the goal isn't to appease God. He's not trying to appease God and to work his way to God. He's saying, look, my goal is to do exactly what this is, to know, to know, him. To know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, which is one part that I think we completely overlook when it when we talk about relationship with God. Because when I'm in married to you, I'm not just here for the good times, right? We we say it when we get married. We say in sickness and in health, in uh, till death do us part. For richer for richer for poor. poor, like all the good times and bad times, right? And when I'm with Christ, my relationship with Christ, I'm not just wanting to know Him in the power of His resurrection, which is what all, everybody likes to talk about. I love to talk about the power of the resurrection. I love to talk about the good times, the victory, the the defeating death, the, the awesome stuff. But also to know Christ. Paul said, I want to know him in the fellowship of his sufferings. I want to fellowship with him in the fellowship of his sufferings, what he went through, the man of sorrows. Right. I want to go, I want to fellowship with him in his sufferings and in our sufferings ultimately. Like, right? It's it's learning to be with God through all things in sickness and in health for richer or poor, right? In all things being with Christ, that's his goal. His goal is not to appease God or earn something from God. His goal is just to know God. And that means know him in the good times and know him in the bad times. Yeah. And to know him in his resurrection, I mean, to, to know someone in resurrection, you have to die. How do you get resurrected? You have to die. You have to die. Yeah. Oh, I want resurrection in Christ, resurrection power. Well, how do you get that? You have to die first. Yeah. There's an old song that says, See, everybody wants to go to heaven. Nobody wants to die. You <laughs> have to die to our to flesh die. in order to be resurrected yeah. in new life with Christ. And, and sometimes dying to our flesh, God will use things that, like Paul's in prison, right? And Paul had a thorn in the flesh, and Paul had, right, he went through these things, these sufferings. You know, he went through a lot, Um there's another passage of scripture, I can't think of it off the top of my head where it's listed, but where he lists out all the things he went through, right? All the the suffering and torture that he went through. But he did that with joy. You know, it started out with this chapter, Rejoice, right? The whole idea is I can go through these sufferings because I'm getting to know God in this. What's that that word? Fellowship of his sufferings. Like thinking about fellowshipping with Christ, like thinking about a Christ. I mean, Jesus, who's not just with you in the good times, he's with you in the bad times, he's mm -hmm. with you in the valley, and the fellowship you have with somebody, I think we touched on this last um, podcast, last episode, 
But like in a marriage, when you go through hard times, that bring that fellowship of going Gross. through the hard times, that relationship is deepened and strengthened. Yep. Like it's forged and in fire. And I think that's how what he's talking about, like fellowship, fellowship with Christ, fellowship of his sufferings. Yeah, I think and that's so powerful that if you could seek, if you could look at it like, okay, I'm not doing these things. I'm not, I'm not rejoicing in my suffering and, and seeking God in my suffering because I'm trying to earn something from God so he'll relieve me of the suffering. But rather I say, God, I want to know who you are in the suffering. I want to strengthen my relationship with you in this moment. If it all becomes relational, God, it, it fixes everything. Like even your mindset, it's not that your suffering goes away. It's that I can endure suffering because I know who I'm with and who he is with me. Yeah, it's about knowing him and yeah. it's about fellowship. It's about relationship. I feel like we keep going back to that. Just it's relationship with Jesus. It's fellowship with Jesus. And then he says, fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death like being conformed to his image through dying to self through dying to selfishness being conformed to the image of christ as you spend time in relationship with him as you give your life to him as you know him as you fellowship with him then you become conformed right right i mean that's to be transformed into his image. You know, he talks about Ephesians yes. beholding or Corinthians beholding is in a mirror dimly, yeah. but eventually you're transformed from glory to glory to glory into his image. You're conformed to that image. And I think that's, that's the ultimate goal. My goal is not to earn something from God. My goal is to be with him. And he's already made that possible through the cross. You know, remember we talked about the first part of this episode was, you know, Christ plus anything is, a false gospel, right? It's it's Christ and Christ alone. Um, and in in that reality that he's already freed me, he's already done these things, I don't have to earn something from him. Now I'm free to grow with him. If you're just trying to earn something from him and connect to him through your works, you're never growing with him because you're not secure in where you're at. So you're always trying to get him to come. But if you can ever get to the place where you say, okay, my works afford me nothing, he's already done it. Now I can sit back, and when I say sit back, I don't mean like don't do works. I mean I can sit back from the striving to earn it, and I can just grow naturally in a relationship yeah. with Him. It's like you can not sit back, but like you rest, rest in, in the assurance yeah. of the relationship. I always go back to just because it's easy for me, like our marriage relationship. I can rest in the assurance of our relationship, rest in the assurance of the love you have for me, like, I don't have to try to earn your love. Right. I don't have to try to do tasks to earn your favor or earn relationship with you. I just rest in the assurance that you love me. Yeah. And I think that's the key. And, I, and we'll end it here for the day. We'll, we'll finish uh, chapter three in the next episode. But th I think we'll, that's the key for, th for this episode is quit trying to earn something from God. Instead, rest in the assurance that he's already done the work. And in resting in that assurance, as you do things, enjoy growing with God in it, whether you're in suffering or the victory of resurrection, wherever you are in this moment in your life, you can rest in the peace of knowing that he's there with you because he's already done the work and you don't have to earn 
anything from him. Yeah, I feel like that striving will cease when you have the right mindset, you have the revelation that you don't have to earn it and you could you could never deserve it. Like we right. could do everything. Like Paul said in verse 6, he was regarding the righteousness that is in the law, he was blameless, but still that isn't enough. There's nothing you could ever do. Yep. Could earn his love or could make you deserve his blood. We don't deserve it. We can't earn it. It's he's enough. He did it. And you rest in that. Yeah. And you rest in it that he loves me be just because he loves me. <laughs> just because I can't, nothing I did, nothing I could ever do, nothing that you could earn or deserve. He just rests in his love. And we'll end it there. Uh, God loves you and we love you guys and we will see you next time.